0: A show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment
1: with what matters most. Hello and welcome to the Money and Meaning show. My name is Jeff Bernier. I am so delighted that you decided to spend a few minutes with us today. As you know, uh, I am your guide on our monthly discussions around money and meaning and the way i think about this is you know we want to have deep discussions around meaning and purpose and what gives you joy um you know what is your why help you uncover some ideas around uh figuring out what really gives you a purpose in your life and combine that with discussions around wealth management topics so that we can help you with some ideas around creating the means so that's what the money part is about obviously it's how do we create the means to go live our version or your individual version of a meaningful life and so it's my privilege to be your to your guide and as your guide uh you know I'm just bringing on some really talented people to help us navigate some of these uh some of these waters and today uh we are really really fortunate to have Brian Portnoy. I uh I've known about Brian and have heard Brian speak a number of times and uh, read some of his books, and I'm um, just really flattered to have him on today. And, and I think you're going to really get a lot out of this. And so let me just, first of all, introduce Brian, and then I'll have him chime in here. But let me introduce Brian Portnoy. He's an expert in simplifying the complex world of money. And he's written three really important books, The Investor's Paradox, The Geometry of Wealth, and his most recent book, How I Invest My Money. Um, and he helps individuals, investors make better financial decisions, how to make better decisions, but it's all around how money fits into a joyful life. Uh, Brian is the founder of Shaping Wealth, a financial wellness platform that helps individuals and organizations make better financial decisions. He is a keynote speaker, seminar leader, uh, coaches, advisors, and investors on the connection between money and happiness. For more than two decades, he's worked in our industry in a number of different types of roles that we may get into, um, both the investment management side at hedge funds and mutual funds and Morningstar, which is a research uh, organization. He's a CFA charter holder has a doctorate uh, from the University of Chicago, serves on the advisory board of the Alliance for De- uh, Decision Education, and he lives there in Chicago with his wife. So welcome, Brian. That's probably more than you wanted to hear, but thank you for, for, uh, for joining us today. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And and I always like, you know, I like to try to help create a connection between our audience and, and our guests. So uh, to do that, I'd love just to hear about you personally for just a couple of minutes. Do you mind just telling us briefly about yourself and your family? Um thrilled
2: to. It's my favorite
1: topic. Yeah. Oh,
2: cool. Um, yeah, my, my, my wife, Tracy, and I, we've been married for 22 years. We have three kids, 20, 18, and 16. Ah. So a sophomore at University of Illinois, a freshman at Michigan State University, and a sophomore in high school, Ben, Zach, and Sarah. <laughs> And yeah, we've, uh, you know, been here in Chicago all along, born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I moved here for graduate school in the, <clears throat> in the nineties. And yeah, we built a family here. Uh, Wrigley field is about a mile right behind me, uh, oh, to, wow. the, to, 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 the east. In fact, one of my sons, uh, <coughs> works the stands at Wrigley, uh, every, every, summer, uh, selling, uh, selling water and snacks and, <laughs> and, and all of that. So he gets right. to see the games for free. He gets, he gets paid to see the games. Um, And um, yeah, that's, that's who we are.
1: Okay, cool. Well, as I mentioned in your bio um, that you've had a a sort of a varied career that has evolved, it sounds, and I'd love to just hear a little bit about that. So how did you go from uh, the investment management, highly technical hedge fund industry uh, and evolve into coaching advisors on improving investor outcomes through behavioral investing? What, How did this all come about in terms of your career path
2: yeah so i've had many careers um uh in fact i i as i count them on my fifth career (laughs) um started out in politics as a young man went to graduate school did a phd not in economics but in political science Hmm. so um studied politics and economics and law and business and, and, and a number of other things on the south side of chicago and decided not to pursue an academic career uh decided I just didn't want to be a professor even though my passion is still learning and teaching uh ended up getting a job somewhat randomly at Morningstar which at the time was wasn't as big as it is now but you know very prominent investment research company had a fabulous experience there doing investment research um uh, and was hired away into the hedge fund industry at, at um, a so-called fund of funds, a, a, a firm that would allocate uh, institutional capital to, um, uh, to to hedge fund investments on behalf of pension funds and insurance companies and endowments and foundations. So, yeah, I spent a good um, fifteen plus years really in the weeds of analyzing investments. And somewhere along the way, um, about I don't know, 10, 11, 11, 12 years ago, I just randomly started to read in the field of behavioral psychology and social psychology and behavioral finance. And man, like the light bulb went on. I, I found it fascinating, you know, so much so that I've now published three books in in, in the field. And, and the first book was really about my walkabout in the mutual fund and hedge fund industries. Uh, and all of the decisions that I made and colleagues made, many of which were not good ones, and just trying to figure out, like, how does this work? How how, how do our brains make good or bad decisions? And, you know, that evolved from just decision making on investments to a, a broader set of considerations about where money fits into a meaningful life. And part of that was a professional progression. But honestly, Jeff, a, a big part of it was just me growing up, aging, seeing my kids a- a- age and you know thinking about the world that they uh, uh, live in and how they're going to, you know, do well or not do well in the in the years and decades to come. So really my the the passion that has built for me is on this question of, you know, financial well-being, this notion of funded contentment that I'm sure we're going to talk about um, right. a bit and um recognizing that money is an incredibly emotional topic. It's the hardest thing to talk about, you know. All of the surveys and studies that are out there show that money is a harder topic than politics, divorce, mm. religion, you you name it. And there are reasons for that. There are evolutionary reasons for that, there are psychological reason reasons for that. And uh so for me I feel like a kid in a candy store. There's just an endless number of Topics to explore that I think can ultimately help people lead better lives.
1: Yeah, I I love it. You know, I have uh, like you as my as my career has is evolved, um, and i I think it's a I think it's a journey. You know, even as as professionals that we go on occasionally, and you know, so I've become passionate about having these deep discussions with real people about. Um, You know, what 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 gives meaning to their lives and helping them create the clarity and capacity to go to go do it. But I also love uh, the behavioral coaching aspects of it, because uh, I believe that, you know, it could be it can have the most impact, quite frankly, Um, it can have more impact than even portfolio design, as an example. Um, is, is my is my opinion. Uh, and I, and of course, I love evidence based investing, too. So I'm I'm sort of ADD in that world. I get to I yeah. get to I get to talk about all three. And this show is just a, is an excuse for me to talk about it and to bring on really smart people who have done a lot more research and a lot more writing than I have deeper, because I mean, I just scratched the surface uh, in certainly the behavioral the behavioral side. And, you know, in some of your writing, you talk a little bit about the importance of both material and spiritual planning in other words going deeper than just the shallow in terms of you know why we're here and you mind talking a little bit about that about what you discovered and some of the some of your research about the importance of going deeper
2: uh for sure so um you know one thing and i mentioned it a moment ago um uh, a a a term or an idea that I want to introduce right off the bat is this idea of funded contentment.
1: Yeah, let's go. Um, Yeah,
2: yeah, so in the geometry of wealth, you know, I think it's on page one, I I say there's a fork in the road between being rich and being wealthy. And, you know, rich is a number, rich is a quest for more. Uh, That quest for more is ultimately unsatisfying because what we get after we get, what we want after we get more is even more. 're we're, we're wired that way. Um, uh, and there's nothing wrong with accumulating dollars, but we should be careful about thinking about what problems that might solve for us if if if, if any. Uh, so rich is one thing and but wealthy is another. Uh, and so the definition of funded contentment for me or or what I would call true wealth, is the ability to underwrite a life that is meaningful to you no, no matter how you choose to define that and um you know topics of purpose and meaning seem in some ways kind of an awkward topic in the context of money and portfolios and spreadsheets and you know mutual funds and insurance and estate plans and all that but you I... don't really need to scratch the surface much to realize that Um, When we're talking about money and where it fits into our day-to-day life, we we quickly begin to explore bigger topics of like the life that you want to lead. So if funded contentment is the ability to underwrite a meaningful life, then um, we can sort of, quote, unquote, go there, we can say, well, what what is a meaningful life? And I've got sort of a a mental model that is, I think, pretty straightforward and simple, that gives us at least some vocabulary to think about that. And then the funding part, the money part comes second. You know, I joked in the Geometry of Wealth, that that book was a prequel to my first book, my first book was sort of a book about getting rich, it was about making good investment decisions, hey, how do you how do you choose the the right investment? Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And I got to the end of that book with sort of this hollow feeling like, huh, what does this all really matter in the grand context of, of, uh, of things? And so, you know, I start writing Geometry of Wealth, I want to say in 2015, 2016. So, you know, it's eight, nine years now of, um, really trying to come to terms with this question. Uh, I mean, you've written a book on money and meaning you you know this uh, as 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 well as any as anyone uh, money triggers these questions these these introspections and the material abundance that we seek is not a bad thing but it's important to recognize it as very incomplete in the context
1: of us all seeking out happy and fulfilled lives right right do you do you think most people either because of uh, the culture or uh, or their peer group or um whatever w- marketing and advertising whatever whatever the cause do you think most people fail to to go deep to, to start asking these deeper questions or they just they just get on the treadmill w- with sort of unconscious and get into a pattern before they ever go to the woods and really, do we got we got the process backwards you know mm-hmm. right so we started pursuing because that's what we're supposed to be doing that's what society teaches us will make us happy do you think do you think pe- most people fail the f- getting deeper i mean is that part of the problem do you think
2: um yeah i mean fail fail has a certain pejorative tone to it and so i don't want to assign that to people as if like they've made yeah, for a being mistake
1: human. Yeah, for being human.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, what we want to do is understand and improve the human experience of money. And the first step of that is to understand what it means to be human. And there's that's a big topic. We don't have time to cover <laughs> all elements of what it means to be human. Right. But um, uh, one um, one of the key dimensions of being human is trying to find a balance or a rhythm between wanting more and having enough. Hmm. And so, you know, I wouldn't even we could layer on the societal piece, the American societal piece the 2020s American societal piece. So, you know, the the way we are now isn't the way we were before. Also, our society versus other societies, there, there's a ton of complexity. So instead of doing that, let's go back 100,000 years and just recognize that we need to be on the go. We need to be achieving. Yeah. Um, we, we do need to be on this so-called uh, hedonic treadmill. And that's a fancy term for your for your listeners but you know it's 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 from the social psychology literature and it basically means that um w- no matter what you pursue in life even when you achieve your goals you're going to want that next thing so um there's a great line from one of my favorite shows mad men when uh, don draper says that happiness is that feeling right before you want more happiness all right um, right yeah um, and so I, I wouldn't assign blame to people, however, uh, in, in the sense that we are wired to desire, uh, to want more, yeah. to achieve, to grow. Those are good. Those are healthy right. things. That's, that's right. the source of progress. That's fun. That's joyful. Um, when we bring this or attach this to money life, one thing that almost never happens, though, is that we, whether it as as financial advisors and coaches, let alone individuals, you know, trying to make sense of this all, we're really not given permission mm. and validation to go to that deeper level? Um, right. in some sense, money is a language that no one speaks fluently mm. And um the vocabulary, the grammar, the syntax of money, it kind of almost never gets dealt with. And I'm not talking about in middle school or high school when we talk about money as a unit of account and a store of value and a means of exchange. Okay, so those those technical things are true, right. but money is an emotional lightning rod. It's a podium on which we speak to the world. It's a weapon that we use to hurt others. It, mm. Money is many things. Right. And so if we begin to think of money through the lens of vocabulary, of, of 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 language, us all running around crazy, and now these days showing how crazy we are on, on social media, um, it's in part because there's very little social acknowledgement of how hard this is. Mm, and I think one yeah. of the and I've built a whole business around this, as you know, I think one of the real callings of the modern financial advisor is just not as a mechanic to build the right portfolio, to purchase the right insurance, to structure the estate plan the exact right way. It's also to serve as guide. So it's one thing to build the vehicle and to make sure the engine is running portfolios, insurance estates. It's another thing to ask whether the, the vehicle is pointed in the right direction. That's right. a different skill set. That's a different set of questions, and that's where modern advice, I think, has not done a great job. But there's been progress there, and I'm optimistic it's moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I love your tone. Um, I, I'm drawing a blank on the behavioral finance professor out in California. Um, uh, you, you know, I'm talking about. And I can't. I'm drawing a blank on his name. But anyway, finance,
2: finance for normal people.
1: Uh, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of the the professor and the and the um, academic that. Uh, but he talks about and and I and your tone is similar. Your talks about the danger we have in the industry of judging because we we judge. We we tend to when we talk about behavioral finance. I find we often talk about it like we're on high and we've got all this wisdom about how to behave better. And it doesn't recognize what you just mentioned in your tone is that this is how i mean we're human beings i mean we we have these characteristics which have been they've helped us as a species thrive but there's a but there's a you know like all things in life there's a paradox because it can it can lead to bad um outcomes in terms of well-being if you get on that treadmill and you don't and you don't think about it. But you came at it in your tone just then, which I really liked about without judgment. I mean, we because I think oftentimes in our industry, when we start talking about behavior coaching, it's like, we know how to behave better, and you don't. And so let me tell you how to behave better. And
2: yeah, yeah, there's a lot of statistics out there. Vanguard has stuff. Um, uh, Other other firms, you know, say that the the highest use or the most important role that an advisor plays is as behavioral coach and on one level i have to agree because i've built an entire company on the back of behavioral coaching but at another level i completely disagree precisely because of what you've just alluded to which is that you know coaching as it's been kind of conceptualized in in many circles is basically uh us telling people how flawed they are and that we're right. going to fix them right and it's sort of um you know there's been an evolution you know, I'll, I'll draw a parallel to the psychology discipline which you know modern psychology was invented in the late 19th century by william james and it's of it course through a lot of people like like um freud and skinner uh and 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 others and for a lot of the last century or so in in modern psychology, the the tone has been uh, fixing broken people. Hmm. And by analogy, financial advice is about, you know, fixing people who don't get it. They are irrational, which is a fancy word for stupid. And I don't appreciate that. What we've had over the last quarter century, though, and it's really picked up a lot of steam in the last 10 years or so, is a different field of psychology called positive psychology, invented in some ways at the University of Pennsylvania by a guy named Marty Seligman. But if you go into an airport bookstore now, half the books on the shelves I would call positive psychology, which is a term that means the science of happiness. And so what we can do as advisors and coaches and what investors can do for themselves and their partners and their kids and their parents and their communities is to kind of get off of our back foot and onto our front foot and say, hey, I just want to be a little bit better. I'm not going from negative one to zero. Most people are okay most of the time. How can we be 10% happier? How can we make things a, a, a little bit better? And as a first step, how can we stop pathologizing normal human behavior and right. calling it irrational? Right. And Jeff, I know you and I are going to do some, some work together on some projects later this year. And, and you're going to hear me say many times that we are normal and that we're not allowed to use the word irrational or rational. We're just going to jettison that vocabulary because it sets up kind of a, a judgment paradigm that is unhealthy for everybody involved. Right. And so if if we want to acknowledge that the world needs a little bit more kindness and that one of the engines of kindness is empathy, if you enter any relationship, and forget the money piece, just your marriage or with your kids or your friends, if you enter without judgment, you open up the opportunity for empathy, and man, good things happen from there.
1: Hmm, that's rich. That's That's really helpful. Well, thank you for going a little deeper on that because that's, I, I sense it in the industry and I, and I think I'm guilty of it as well. If you look at some of my writing, I'm, um, you know, I'm talking about the mistakes that we all make and, um, and oh, by, but, by, you know. by the way, there
2: mistakes get made all the time,
1: bad Correct. decisions
2: get made all the time, but you know, that's sort of adjacent to, but not, I, this, the, the same as saying that like, we are, we are broken. Um, right. you know, so.
1: Right. No, I like I like it, and I'm looking forward to learning more about it uh, in some of the stuff we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. But so let me back up to geometry of wealth for a moment. And it was so it was so insightful and impactful to you apparently that you created your logo and your firm, shaping wealth out of the out of the idea of these three major concepts. And we don't have time to go deep on it, but do you mind just defining what the three shapes represent?
2: Yeah, so let me give one uh, 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 a few seconds of context here. So, Please. the the idea is that each of us would like to achieve or experience funded contentment. We want to have the sense that money fits into our life in a meaningful way. okay? So not rich, not turning a million into two million dollars, but aligning or calibrating sort of the life we want to live with our balance sheets with with our with, with our portfolio. So then the question is how do we achieve funded contentment if only for a while? And the answer there is a three-step process that I defined in the geometry of wealth and summarized through simple shapes because you know, I think it's for people like you and me, it's it's our job to simplify. I mean, there's a difference between simple and simplistic. Um, uh, but simple is good. Going from complex to simple is good. Um, How do you achieve funded contentment? Well, there's three things. The first thing you do is you define purpose and meaning. The second thing is you identify your priorities, both financial and non-financial, within the context of the purpose that you've defined. And then the third step is that you make a whole series of decisions, little ones and big ones, um, in order to uh, fulfill your priorities as 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 well as your purpose, and so circle, triangle, square, purpose, priorities, decisions. Mm. The circle is uh, and each is symbolic. So with purpose, you know, as my dad says, it's a round world. We're we're always figuring things out, and you're sort of never done.
1: Yeah, it's an um, evolution.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, it, it's not like we get to some moment in life where we say, "Oh, I figured it all out," and then you're done. Um, no, I, I think you know, life happens, uh, challenges happen, good things happen, think things happen. So we're sort of never done as humans figuring things out. And so as we try to define what a meaningful life is, that is the circle, the the ongoing thing. Um, as it relates to the triangle and setting priorities, to me, there's sort of three things that we need to consider. Hence, the the three three sided shape. Um, it's it's basically sort of what what I call protect, balance, and reach. Meaning yeah. that our first priority is to uh, protect ourselves to make sure that we survive, um, that we hedge or manage or eliminate risk. Uh, the second priority is to achieve balance or equilibrium or homeostasis in our lives. Um, and then the third is to aspire and to reach. You know, as Casey Kasem said, you keep your feet on the star ground and keep reaching for the stars. Right. And this this triangle, these three priorities kind of correspond to what I call the evolutionary two-step. We survive and we thrive. We survive and we thrive. This is, you know, you, you, you can't lose the game. On any particular day, but you don't have to win the game. You, you want to stay in the game. You want to stay alive. You want to. You. 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 And and then you're in a position to do amazing things. The third step, final step, is making decisions, and it's it's a it's a square. Uh, uh, in the context of the book, it's a square because there's four different decisions that I talk about. But um, generally, there's a, a number of dimensions of money life that we're making decisions about. And, uh, you know, we want to be precise and articulate about what those decisions are. All of this is on a loop. All of this is iterated. So, you know, funded contentment is sort of a, there's an element of mindfulness to it. There's an element of presence to it. It's, I would distinguish it from achieving goals. So when we think about goals And I want to retire at age 62 with a certain amount of money, or I want to buy that vacation home, or I want to pay for my kid's college. Like those are goals and those are virtuous goals. And they come and they go and we achieve them or we don't. Um, But those are always in the future. And we know because of this hedonic treadmill that we've talked about earlier, that when you achieve those goals, you might feel happy for a moment, but then you say, what's next? That that's just who we are. Funded contentment is something that you experience in the moment, in the presence, in the present, um, and it could be a very mindful experience that things are okay, that you're going to be okay. Um, That in itself doesn't last forever. So the circle, triangle, square, the purpose, priorities, decision, dynamic, it's just on a on a loop. It just it just keeps going, and for some that might be frustrating. Like oh, why can't I just get there? Right. Well, it's not about getting there. That's a goals-oriented mentality. This is about life lifestyle. Now. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's about it's about now and let's make the now as long as possible.
1: Yeah. And enjoying yeah, enjoying the journey. Just know?
2: enjoying the journey. It's very right. much about the journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to get back to the journey in a moment, but let me ask you one more term that you've coined that I have not heard before, adaptive simplicity. Mm-hmm. You use the term adaptive simplicity. And I can't remember if this is related to uh the circle, the triangle, or the square. But how how are you using the term adaptive simplicity? What is that what does that what does that mean?
2: Yeah, no, it's, an, it's it's a term that I I guess I coined in, in the book. It, it's the funded contentment is the one that's sort of uh been recognized all over and, and yes. people Seem to like that. I, I haven't really used adaptive simplicity as much as I would like because I do love the concept, and it's simply this idea that one of the things that is virtuous in our lives is simplifying the complex, and that you know, especially now we are just overwhelmed. Um, it's not clear that our brains were wired to process as much information as we're being confronted with right now. Right, right. Um, these are very these are the noisiest of times in all of recorded human history. And so, you know, as we go through the process of trying to understand and achieve, if only for a while, this thing called funded contentment, sort of the engine to do that is adaptive simplicity. I have explained the simplicity part. The adaptive part um, is this evolutionary journey that we're on where we're just always figuring things out. Yes, we can write down our goals and our aspirations. Yes, we can do a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, in in our own minds, but there's also the world out there that's putting up different roadblocks and, uh, but also different, you know, open lanes and, and, and opportunities. And so this idea that, well, we, we, we want to focus on what's important. We want to go from complex and noisy to simpler and quiet that requires an adaptive mindset that requires this ability Actually, it's an attitude before it's an ability. It's an attitude to take the world as it comes and pivot accordingly.
1: Yeah. Well, our industry needs a lot of work there, too, obviously, because we we oftentimes equate complex with wise or complex as sophisticated. And I think um, in some of your mental models that you're talking about, actually, um, the simpler is actually uh, the more sophisticated uh, because it's the true, it's things, it's the things that matter most. So it's really right. about it's about chiseling away all the things that don't matter, and focusing on what matters most. And I think that's uh, that's what I think I heard in some respects is how do you how do you gain the wisdom through all these inputs, but simplify it in a way that's meaningful and useful in actually implementing a financial plan or discovering what really matters or yeah. uh, or dealing with the challenge that you face today without getting overwhelmed by all of the confetti that's being thrown at you.
2: I like the image of the confetti. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the financial services industry, generally speaking, embraces the complex in order to confuse um, its customers so that they can Mm. continue to sell expensive, ineffective products. Mm. Um, What's exciting about where, the leading edge of of financial advice is going, is that it sort of, you know, is uh, rejects and and moves away from that complexity, and says, you know, there are simpler and frankly inexpensive ways to build portfolios that will be effective for you right. over the long run, um, and but that's not a message that has historically been accepted by the industry. Uh, you know, you you know the old book. Where are the customers' yachts? Right. You know, th- this has generally been an industry um, filled with organizations who simply want to sell, you know, complicated, high, high priced price. stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and like, I get it. You know, it's um, I, I I I it's not difficult to to understand. But if we really want to embrace the the virtuous elements of modern financial advice. Uh, We might have to also embrace lower margins and um, while helping people lead, uh, lead, lead better lives. Yeah.
1: Well, I've got two other things I'd love to chat about briefly here before we wrap up. And one is, you know, when I met you in person, was at Future Proof? So a conference Mm -hmm. out in California last September, and you did a really uh, impactful, short workshop on story you know, uncovering our story, helping our clients uncover their story. Why do you think, and I, and I write about this in my book. I tried to very shallow, I I might add, but I tried to use some of Joseph Campbell's information about the hero's journey as a metaphor for kind of the life that we go through. And, um, and I think it's, I think it can be powerful. So why do you think story and narrative is so important in terms of, uh, helping uh, communicate, helping build connections, uh, or behavior change?
2: Yeah, it's an important topic, and that's a great question. The answer, in short, is that humans are born as storytellers. We're not born as calculators. The financial services complex treats us as calculators, and they want to, they, 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 you know, through the language of of numbers and spreadsheets, but that's not what we are wired for. Um there's now an enormous amount of of research in ne- neuroscience and anthropology and other disciplines that makes it clear that, you know, humans the first thing that we sort of did was tell stories. Um, you know, a- a- and we had some sense of who we are and where we were going and and um it's 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 an exciting and kind of provocative framework for thinking about like the one of the initial things you and I talked about uh, on this podcast, which is like, well, what does it mean to be human? Um, Well, one of those things is um, is is storytellers. We are storytellers. So it leads to to me a kind of obvious question which is well why aren't we integrating storytelling into the context of financial planning because there's no doubt that financial planning is in no small part about us living the lives that we want or our clients want want, want to live and there are certain lessons we can take from narrative uh structure from from the science of storytelling right that um gives us a window into who our clients are certainly gives us a window into who we we are as individuals Mm -hmm. before you know we serve as advisors or or coaches and you know you mentioned the hero's journey and joseph campbell and you know a book i'd highly recommend you know the hero with a thousand faces where joseph campbell um who's a professor of mythology at swarthmore and um if if your listeners haven't listened uh, watched the Bill Moyers special yes. from many many years ago, it's, it's terrific. It's absolutely, yeah. it's 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 absolutely worthwhile. And what he points out mm-hmm. um, in, in incredible detail is that if you review the main stories and myths that societies have told themselves going back to the dawn of recorded anything. We've been telling the same story over and over again across cultures and across time. And that might tell us something about who we are. And, you know, um, it ends up now that 18 of the 25 highest grossing movies of all time are some version of the hero's journey. Basically, this idea that, you know, you, you, you are, you know, you're just a regular Joe or Jane and... And and you're beginning to feel ugy and like huh like there's something bigger out there in the world, but you resist the call. But then you ultimately heed the call, and somewhere along the way, you you find a guide, you find helpers, who can you know help you along the path. And there you have you know sort of wins and losses, and 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 life happens. And ultimately, you try to achieve that thing or get to that place, only to find yourself back, you know, back at the beginning. And yeah. um, it's it's you know whether it's Star Wars or the Hunger Games, right? Uh, or The Devil Wears Prada, yeah. uh, The elements you know, are there. Or yeah. The Lion King. They are almost verbatim the same story, and we love them because it maps to who we are. And so I'll just wrap by saying that why not think of financial planning through the lens of narrative structure, through the narrative arc, and why not have financial advisors uh, skilled and and trained in narrative structure so that they can better help their clients define not just what they want to do, but who they want to be.
1: Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the way you communicated that. I tried to do that in, in my book, like I said, the money and meaning journey. Yeah, and yeah. I did it in, I did it in the context of the mid to late career person who's been through, you know, and they're at different stages in the, you know, in the in the journey as they as they move move forward. But um that's that's uh, and again, that Bill Moyer's uh piece is terrific if it's easy to find it's on it's on YouTube so I'd recommend that yeah. uh, last two things was uh so your latest book was uh a collaboration we did you did with uh Josh Brown where you interviewed some of our colleagues leaders mm-hmm. in the wealth management industry a lot of different types of disciplines but generally leaders that that you and I know their names because they're they're out and about a lot and speaking circuits and publishing and blogging and whatnot and you interviewed them, I think, uh, and wrote a great book on how they manage their own money. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious. I mean, we're we're moving away a little bit from some of the theoretical stuff here into more practical. But anything you found surprising about any of those interviews or any of those stories um, yeah, from yeah. our peers?
2: So, well, I, these weren't interviews; these were self-written essays. Oh, they so, were okay. Yeah. So, you, so we compiled. Okay. We compiled. You know, so we asked Morgan Housel and Christine Benz and. Alex Chalekian and Desarte Yarnway and um, uh, many, you know, a number of prominent financial advisors and 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 other financial experts. Basically, like, how do you how do you invest your money? Um, it's a question that many financial professionals have never been asked and never really feel felt compelled to to answer. And um, probably I don't know if it was surprising, but the most illuminating lesson from the book was simply the fact that everybody does it differently, Mm. that it's pretty easy to define some investment orthodoxy um, uh, and no one abides by it. (laughs) <laughs> everyone's kind of got everyone's got their own wrinkle, their their own their own thing which is to be expected because we're all living different lives with different challenges. I mean, we can talk generally about what it means to be human, but what it means to be Jeff versus Brian are two right. two two different things. So we saw 25 chapters with 25 different life stories. Um, the book was called How I Invest My Money. You know, it could have been better called "Why I Invest My Money" because most people did gravitate not toward "Oh, well, here's the line items in my portfolio," but like "Why I make the decisions I do? Oh. What are my priorities? What are my values? What are yeah. what 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 are my goals?" And so, just where just where, where, where we started this conversation. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, see, everything's a circle; everything comes back. <laughs> um, so, it, it the book, yeah, the book's now published in eight different languages. Um, it seems to have hit a nerve uh, in 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 our industry and one thing we do at shaping wealth is help financial advisors write their money story and what we find in 90% of the you know uh, situations uh, or instances is that you know financial professionals financial advisors who have been for 15 20 25 plus years advising people on money have never been have never been asked um how do you invest your money, or how do you how do you think where does money fit into your life? Hmm. It's uh it's been uh it's been a very interesting journey along that along those yeah, lines. Yeah,
1: what a what a valuable service. Well, thanks for sharing that. As you were talking about um, the different ways that advisors manage their own money relative to you know quote industry best practices, perhaps that we um, it, it, it reminds me of something I heard about uh, physicians at one time. Um, and many, I I read a research and maybe it was some of yours, I don't even remember where I saw it, but it said something along the lines of many physicians who, you know, will prescribe, um, you know, dramatic care for people late in cancer treatments, as an example, uh, if they, if they, uh, or if if they are themselves, uh, facing a terminal illness, they usually don't go to those dramatic Uh, steps they 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 look more for quality of life and palliative care and things of that nature which kind of reminds me of that is it's what they you know what they're encouraging us to do in terms of seeking um you know all the remedies oftentimes they don't take them themselves because they value quality of life over extending their life by a number of months or days or years or or whatever so i thought that was kind of kind of interesting. So thank, thanks for that insight. So you you went in briefly, so let's just talk about Shaping Wealth for a moment. Um so tell me a little bit about the mission of your firm, Shaping Wealth, mm-hmm. and um kind of what you're what you're hoping to accomplish.
2: Yeah, so you know, as shouldn't be surprising from the name, uh, my company Shaping Wealth was inspired by <laughs> not just what I wrote about in the Geometry of Wealth, but how it's been received out in the world uh, globally. And um The idea, uh, the the mission is very uh, plain to state and close to my heart, which is funded contentment for everyone. Hmm. That to the extent that wealth is as much of a mindset as it is a number, that this is something that can be shared and taught and communicated, and that there's an opportunity to improve people's lives um, through a discussion of financial well-being, to give permission to talk about the one thing that no one wants to talk about money people want to talk about politics religion sex marriage <laughs> you name it right no one wants to talk about money so let's create um uh, you know a, a, an easy and acceptable way to really go there so the the mission funded contentment for everyone is something that um i just deeply believe in From a business point of view, uh, we mainly serve the wealth management industry. so We get to the end investor through their advisors um, because we think that um, in our role as coaching the coaches, so to speak, we can get to many families, many communities across the world. Um, now, not everybody works with a financial advisor. In fact, most people don't work with a financial <clears> advisor. <throat> but I do feel like, you know, all things considered, it's an effective way to get our mission into the world. Um, you know, the company's been around for a couple years, a little bit more than a, a, a couple years. And we we put coaching and content, um, different resources and tools into the world for financial advisors and their clients to uh, understand and improve the human experience of money. So yeah. we do some coaching programs. Our flagship program is called Building the Behavioral Advisor. It's a super cool 100-day journey, very carefully staged experience that um, is cohort-based, meaning you know it tends to be 15 to 20 advisors at a time. Uh, and, and that's been a lot of fun to get up and running. Um, and then um, in addition to courses like that, we have a general resource or experience that we call the outsourced chief behavioral officer. It's a lot of syllables to basically say, hey, we got your back, that um, very, very, very few advisors are going to have a chief behavioral officer, meaning right. someone in their company who's in charge of better decision making. Now, some of the really big firms do have that. Most don't and won't. At the same time, 99.8% of advisors these days will acknowledge that The psychology of money matters, client and advisor psychology matters. But there's just so much stuff out there from the psychology discipline and neuroscience and behavioral finance. And so what we've put together is this really cool platform called OCBO, where we are your outsourced Chief Behavioral Officer. Um, and for a monthly or annual subscription, you get a pretty large number of uh, content coaching moments, resources
1: that you can pretty easily use in your practice on a day-to-day basis. right well, that's that's true. Thanks for sharing all that as, as um, it, you know I, I think this is relevant regardless of what's going on in the world because I think people need it mm-hmm. and it's a value to people going to this level of, coaching and, and advice. But I think it's particularly important in the environment that we may find ourselves, at least with my ideal client, who is this mid to late career professional who's moving in to act two, and they're facing some headwinds that we haven't seen in, uh, in before. Um, and so getting clear on what really matters and, you know, what does it really take to be happy might be more important. Certainly, investing uh, appropriately to fund your goals, to, to create this funded contentment, may require um, a different way of thinking in terms of risk and reward and volatility. And, and so I just I just think in the potential environment that we're in today, it's it's even more important. And so I'm excited to be in your cohort, in one of your new cohorts. So thank you for allowing me to do that. So we just got a couple of minutes here. Let me just close by letting you tell us how people can find out more about Brian Portnoy and Shaping Wealth.
2: Sure, um, and <clears> I appreciate <throat> you, Jeff, and 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 everything you put into the world. You've written a really good book on this topic, and and I I just I'm I'm here for it. It's great. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, for uh, the company shapingwealth.com. Um, is the you know the landing page and there's a f- right. a few resources there so shapingwealth.com um, I'm pretty active on social media uh, Twitter the financial Twitter community has been great in terms of people to meet and learning and sharing ideas and so I'm at Brian Portnoy okay. um, I'm on LinkedIn just as as me and um,
1: you know that's that that that's those are the places. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been uh, really fantastic. I think our listeners will really value uh, some of this information. I really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you guys for participating and joining us today. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Uh, we mentioned my book a couple times, The Money and Meaning Journey. You can check it out at all the major online retailers or at Jeff Bernier Author com where you can uh, you know, uh, get more information about some of these ideas. But it's been a pleasure being with you today and uh, uh, take care and we'll see you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to The Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com, or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the president and chief investment officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Financial Advisors LLC does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors LLC does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.